Luke chapter 24, the gospel of Luke chapter 24, and uh, it's going to be verse 13. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We would like to pass one to you, and in that particular Bible, it's page 756, and uh, Jesus is going to talk about preparing people for for what's ahead. Uh, Luke is going to share a story that helps prepare people for what's ahead. So let me just pray before we get into uh, this, this text together. God, we ask that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts and our soul and our eyes to see what you want us to see in this text. Um, each of us has a, a path ahead of us with twists and turns and uphills and downhills and successes and struggles and, and, and loss and gain and, and relationships and broken relationships. We all have that before us as we sit here gathered today this morning. And you want to prepare us for the life that you have for us, ahead of us. You want, to, you want to make us strong in you, build our faith, so that as we walk this journey, wherever the path goes, we'll be able to draw from you and, and lean into you and see it all in light of who you are and your grand story. We'll be able to fit our story into your story. And so we, we ask, Lord, that you would help us as we look at this text to learn the things that you want us to learn, help us to grow in the ways that you want us to grow and, and to prepare in the ways that you want to prepare us for what's ahead. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, Luke 24. Now, I, this is, we have three more texts, three more passages in the Gospel of Luke. And like I said before, I feel like Linus about to lose his blankie uh, from peanuts, you know, because I've been with this Gospel now for years. We've been going through it. We haven't done straight through. We've taken breaks and done other series, but we've been in this for a while. And it's sad to me that we're coming to the end in some respects. I'm glad for the accomplishment, but um, but uh, but this is this three more passages. And the background to this particular one is it's still Sunday. Um, last last week, uh, you know, we celebrated Easter, and then. You know, we have email that goes out and has all the, the welcome cards and, and the people who have filled out welcome cards. And um, Lily, our children's ministries coordinator, uh, responded to the email. She said, look at all these welcome cards. We should do Easter every Sunday. And, and she's right, you know. And, but we do, right? <laughs> because every Sunday, that's why we worship on Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we celebrate Easter every Sunday. And uh, so if you're one of those people who tends to just come at Easter, well, come every Sunday because it's always Easter. Um, But it's still Easter in this text. Um, It's Sunday morning, still uh, early in the day, and and, and that's where we pick this up. Things are happening fast. The women who went to the tomb went and saw that it was empty, and uh, they ran back and told the disciples. And then Peter went to see the tomb, and and, and then he, he comes back, and then we pick up where these two disciples are on their way to Emmaus. Uh, It's still Sunday morning. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And and if you're in Jerusalem, it's always downhill. Anywhere leaving Jerusalem is downhill. So they're going downhill. They're going to Emmaus, which is most likely their home, their returning home. And, And you can sense already in that that they've sort of given up on this wonderful thing that was happening. They had this incredible journey with Jesus, the most amazing person who ever lived. They get to be with him and to follow him and to learn from him. And, and then all of a sudden, he's yanked from their presence and he's condemned and he's killed. And they don't know what to make of all this. And understandably, they're very downcast. And so they're going downhill. They're going down home. They're downcast. They're downtrodden. Everything is down for them at this moment. They're downhearted as they go towards Emmaus. 
Verse 15, while they were talking and, uh, and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, Luke speaks in this way in a number of places. It's called the divine passive. He says their eyes were kept from recognizing. We're to understand that God was the one that was keeping them from recognizing. And he's doing that because he has something very important for them to learn. So a lesson about where do you find Jesus? Where do you find God? And that's the lesson. And, and in order to teach that lesson, they have to be kept from recognizing Jesus uh, at this point. Uh, and he said to them, in verse 17, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. They stopped in their tracks. Then one of them, named Clopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? You've got to love this. I mean, it's just like, you know, like when you're on Christmas morning and you bought some really special gift for your kid and they don't know it yet, and you're just, sort of, you're just sort of concealing that you know what they're about, and you know their excitement, Jesus is, must have that sort of sense about him. What things? Uh, and then they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Jesus was condemned by the rulers, and it seemed like this was all happening to him, and he was a victim. But we know, as we're reading Luke carefully, what's actually going on there is that Jesus, in fact, went to that cross on purpose. He knew what he was doing, and because he had something very special to accomplish, which was the atoning, to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice, which would, which would bring about the forgiveness of sins for those who believe. And so that, that act seemed like he was just a victim, but he embraced it and, and, and took it on himself. And, and in the middle of this, um, they're telling him about the loss of Jesus and how sad they are, and, and they're telling Jesus and they don't know it. And the irony is very thick throughout this entire text. This is one of the greatest stories, by the way, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's one of the most detailed and longest tellings of one of the events and the twists and turns are so wonderful. And, and those of you who are artists, you would, you would do well to study Luke's craft in telling this story. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, all the important things are there. Anyway, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And again, a lesson here. In the absence of clarity, these disciples assume the worst has happened. And just a side note, a freebie here, I think for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can have that tendency when, when things aren't the way that we would hope that they would be, and we're confused and we're perplexed like these disciples were. Some of us have the tendency to put the worst, uh, the worst uh, interpretation on those events, right? And, and, and when we're walking with God, we need to leave that, that sense of openness that, that maybe God's doing something unexpected here. And so uh, for us to be careful not to put that negative spin 
um, is a good lesson for us. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, that's us so often, right? All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, what you would expect next is that Jesus would would pull back the the cloak or whatever was concealing him and, and, and say, surprise, right? It's me. But that's not what he does. Look at the next verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And we'll come back to that. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And again, there's so many lessons in this text, but this, this idea of the disciples urging Jesus to say, and, and he responds to their urging, and it's a lesson for us in our relationship with Jesus. Are you urging Jesus um, to, 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 to hear you? Are you praying with that sense of urgency and, and, and knowing that Jesus responds to our pleadings? Stay with us, they say, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus responds to their urging. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. So they just did a turnaround. Everything's changed. They were going down. Now they're going back up. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So they walk into the room, and all the disciples are gathered, and they have this story that nobody's going to believe, right? They're so excited. We get to tell a story, and they get in there, and everybody else has a story too. You ever have that? You got the story you want to tell? Um, it happens with kids all the time. They want to tell a story and somebody else will tell a story and they get so frustrated because they wanted to tell the story. Well, these guys walk in and they have the story to tell, but things are happening so quickly and God is on the move and they don't even get to tell their story first. They have to listen to another story. And then verse 35, then they told what had happened on the road. They did get to tell their story. And then we got to hear their story and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I want to talk about three things this morning from this text around the theme that Jesus prepares you for what's ahead. Now, these disciples were embarking on a new chapter. Jesus had risen from the dead. He would be ascending into heaven. And so what would life be like at that point? And, and, so, and so Jesus wants to prepare them for that new life. And in the same way, he wants to prepare us for what's ahead. And as I prayed, um, that's all kinds of things, right? In the, in the, in the walk with Jesus, uh, part of what's ahead is for us to be empowered to be the kind of witnesses that these disciples are. They, they run back to Jerusalem and they tell, this is what happened. Okay? And that's who we're called to be as followers of Jesus, to be witnesses to the gospel. And so we need to be empowered for that. We need to be prepared for that. 
But we also know in the, in the process of doing that, we live our lives and, and all the mundane things happen and, and, and the difficult things happen. And we have to be prepared to, to address all that as well and to handle all that. And Jesus wants to prepare us for that. And then we know at the end of our lives, there will be a returning to our Father in heaven and all eternity with him. And in, in, in some way, we're preparing for that too. And so Jesus, as he departs, he's, he's preparing his people. He's preparing his people for what's ahead. And the first thing that he does with these disciples is he stretches their imagination. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he will stretch your imagination. Jesus will stretch your imagination. They expected someone to overthrow the Romans. That's what they were hoping for. Um, They wanted somebody to come and and renew Israel in a political sense. And Jesus comes along and he he doesn't do that. So on one level, he's less than what they expected. They expected somebody to take the power away from the Romans and reestablish Israel. But Jesus doesn't overthrow the Romans. So he's less than. But he's more than because what he does overthrow is death. He doesn't overthrow the Romans right now, but he overthrows death. So their expectations are all turned about. They wanted to go back to to David, King David, when Israel was the the biggest and the baddest on the block. And they they were longing for that. They wanted to go back to those times. And, and, And Jesus says, no, I'll do you one better. Let's go back to Adam when everything became broken in the first place because of sin and the fall and the decay that was introduced. And Jesus says, you want to go back to David and have political rule and you want Israel to be the nation I want to take you something better all the way back to Adam, to the restoration of all things. The redemption communicates that, the resurrection communicates that message of redemption. What Jesus has is a more comprehensive view of redemption than what they have. They think of redemption in small political terms, and he thinks of it in more global terms. And I find this to be true in my walk with Christ, and I think many of you have found this to be true, that your hopes and your dreams, and your longings. They're never big enough for Jesus. He always expands and stretches what we hope for, and we dream for, and what we long for. They're all limited in comparison to what God wants to do in our lives. And it's not just that He he takes the the particular dream or hope that I have and, and makes it bigger. It's like he brings a different dream altogether, a different hope altogether. See, he didn't just say, uh, he didn't just say to them, yeah, I'll be your political ruler uh, only and, and I'll do it even better than you think. He said, no, I'm going to show you a, a renew, renewal, a redemption that, that's altogether different and better and more comprehensive than what you had expected. Jesus stretches our imagination. A number of years ago, uh, we were swimming at... Um, a pool in, in San Ramon, and, and my wife broke her foot uh, in the middle. We were on the slide, and, and my son and I were tr- trying to tell her how to go down the slide most effectively so she'd get the most speed, you know, on your, on your back and, and your heels and arching yourself like this. And, you're, and she was a great student, and she came out of that slide, and she stayed arched like that, and she went into the water, and because she was arched, she went straight down to the bottom and hit the bottom and, and broke her foot, and, you know, we knew right away something was desperately wrong. And a couple days later, you know, she had taken care of and on crutches and, and things were settled and we were getting used to our new life. I was talking to my, account, my accountability partner. We, we talk every Monday morning. Um, for 14 years we've been doing this. He's another pastor in Pennsylvania. And um, 
And uh, I said to him, yeah, you know, my wife, Jody, you know how she is. She's just going all the time, and, and she just never quits. And I think God just wanted her to slow down, and he just had to get her attention, you know, because she wouldn't listen to God, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so I kind of say, I guess, and he goes, hey, there's a little pause, and he goes, or <laughs> God's trying to teach you to help around the house a little bit more. And like I said, I hung up on him immediately and went on with my life. Um, no, I, I, I didn't hang up. I, I, I let that s- settle after I got over my anger. And, um, and I began to think about that. And it was so interesting because God used that little statement he made over the next weeks and months. And every time there was an opportunity for me to serve and to be more engaged and to be more involved, those, those words spoke to me. So, so this thing happened, and I thought, you know, it would help my wife and what actually needed to happen that maybe happened too. I don't know, you can ask her. But what happened in me was that I was drawn into more service in my family. And something changed in my heart. And some of the lessons I learned during that time um, have stayed with me. And I still have a long, long ways to go. But some of those lessons stayed with me. And, and so God used that. And so isn't that the way of God? Something You think it's one thing, and he's using it for so, something so much bigger. I didn't even know that that issue needed to be addressed in my life because that's how guys work, right? We think our marriage is fine uh, and we don't understand uh, that there's areas of growth. And, and like I say, that's why we need to, you know, be involved with men at that Saturday morning, you know, thing because you will, you will grow, right? And, and so I didn't, I didn't even recognize an area where I needed to grow. And God pointed out and did something altogether more comprehensive than what I thought he was doing. And we find this over and over again in our walk with the Lord, um, that he continues to stretch our imagination. His good is better than we expect. His good is better than we imagine. And he stretches us into that goodness as he works with us. So that was the first thing. The second thing that we learn out of this to help us prepare for what's ahead, whatever that is, is that Jesus loves to draw near to us. Jesus wants to draw near to you, okay? He wants to draw near to you with all that he is and all who he is to, to bring his, all his blessing and his, and his admonishment and his, his new redemptive life to you. He draws near to you. It's no accident that Jesus shows them himself in the Bible, in the scripture, before he pulls back the cloak and says, ha ha, it's me right? There's no accident that he shows them who he is in the scripture because there's an important lesson there for them because he's not going to keep appearing to them day after day in the way that he did right after the resurrection. But they're going to need to find him, right? And he doesn't appear to us like he did right after the resurrection, but we need to find him, right? And so the lesson is for them and the lesson is for us. Here is how you find him. Go to the word and remind you that they only had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So when he is, he's opening the scriptures to them, they're just looking at the Old Testament and he's pointing himself out to them in that Old Testament. And, later, and it says their hearts burned within them. They had the sense of God's presence when they were reading those scriptures. And so what Jesus is saying to us is that I, I draw near to you and if you want me, open your Bible. Open up your Bible 
and read on its pages. And let me work through that to draw near to you and your hearts will burn in you. And there's two things that become very clear about the Bible in the way that Jesus handles this. First of all, he says everything, everything points to Jesus in the Bible. This is absolutely critical as we approach our, our Scripture. And we know that in the New Testament, but I don't think we fully understand that in the Old Testament. Everything points to Jesus in the Bible. That is the goal and the structure of the Bible. If you're a traveler, um, you know what it's like to go uh, to JFK in, in New York, the airport there, and what a mess it is. It's like they built this airport, and they just added piece after piece after piece, and it's chaos, and there's narrow corridors, and they're always doing construction, and you're wandering around, and you're getting lost, and it just seems like it's something that they've thrown together haphazardly. And then you go to O'Hare, and they seem to have made this all at once, and it's very uniform looking, and you know exactly where you are, and it all makes sense, and you can move around, and there's some overarching structure. Now, you don't know that if you were just plopped into O'Hare to begin with, but you discover that as you wander around. And the same is true with our Bibles. We discover that it's not just some haphazard conglomeration of of people's thoughts and ideas, but there's an overarching structure working through the 39 different different authors over 1,500 years and the 66 different books. They're all pointing towards the same thing, Jesus Christ. And when we understand that that's the framework, it helps us to read our Bibles better because we know where we're trying to go with it. You say, well, pastor, how do, you, how do you see Jesus in the Old Testament? He was born at the beginning of the New Testament. And, and, and there are ways, and so let me just briefly talk about some of the ways that maybe Jesus was pointing himself out to those disciples as they walked along that road to Emmaus. Um, we weren't there. We don't know. And, and it's going to be great when we get to heaven to say, could you repeat that lecture that you gave um, on the road to Emmaus? We'd, we've all been dying to hear it. I'm drawing from the work of Sidney Gradanus um, right here. He talks about uh, preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And he identifies multiple ways that you see Christ in the Old Testament. I just want to briefly throw those out there so that as you're reading your Bible, you're thinking in these terms and you're allowing it to point you towards Jesus Christ. The first one is this, is that Jesus comes to us in the Old Testament throughout the Bible as the end of the historical progression of what God is doing. So you have uh, in the Bible the, the, you know, the, the process of, of Abraham and then uh, eventually to Moses and then to David, and you see all this historical progression. They're like building blocks, and God is accomplishing and teaching things throughout. And the end of that historical progression is always Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of of that historical progression, and he puts all the pieces together. And so when you're in the Old Testament, you can see how people like Abraham and David, they point towards Jesus. Secondly, Jesus ends up being the fulfillment of all the promises. So in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah were promised that they would have a son, and sons do come, but they're never fulfilling all the requirements that were promised, all the things that were promised in the son that they would have until Jesus comes along and he fulfills them all. And so so Jesus ends up being the fulfillment of promise. So he's the end of the historical progression. He's the fulfillment of promises. Um, He ends up being the supreme example of the various types that we discover in the Old Testament. So Jonah, for example, is a type. 
we would say. And Jesus referred to him this way. He's, he's, he's like a type. Uh, he was in the belly of the whale for three days, and, 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 then, he, and then he came out. And, and Jesus says of that, just as Jonah was, in the, was three days in the belly of the whale, so son of man and then we'll be raised again. And so Jonah is a type of something that happens, and it's like God is preparing our minds to be able to grasp what God is going to do later on. And so he gives us this type, and then Jesus comes along, and he's the perfect example, the fulfilled example of that. And a lot of these sort of overlap. But there's also the culmination of long-running themes in the Old Testament. So the culmination of long-running themes. Jesus ends up being the culmination of these these long-running themes. So, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, there's so much about redemption and slavery. And, of course, in Egypt, the Israelites are, are, are they, ransomed from Egypt and they're broken free from the slavery. And, and then in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he says, I have, I'm offering myself as a ransom for many to free them from the slavery of sin. And so he, he ends up uh, being the culmination of this redemptive theme throughout the Old Testament. Or sacrifice of atonement, again, in the Old Testament. Over and over again, the lamb is offered. The sacrifices are offered to atone for the sin. And then Jesus comes along and, 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 and John says, behold, there goes the lamb of God, right? He becomes the lamb that's sacrificed to bring perfect atonement. So the imperfect atonement of the lambs throughout the Old Testament points towards the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And then lastly, there's contrast. We find Christ in the Old Testament through contrast. So, for example, the, the first covenant was written on stone, but the new covenant is written where? On the heart, right? And Jesus instituted that new covenant. And we, we remind ourselves of that every time we, we come to this table and we say that, 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 that this is the new covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so it's contrasted with the old Covenant. And, and so that's how we see Jesus all throughout. We can go anywhere in the Old Testament, see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Now, he doesn't leave us alone to accomplish that work of pursuing him either. This is a beautiful thing, that just like Jesus came alongside those uh, Emmaus disciples and helped them to see, Jesus will come alongside you and me to help us to understand him in the Scripture. John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will come to you and he will, um, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. That's a promise that we have that Jesus has made. The Holy Spirit will come alongside us and as we open our Bibles to seek Christ, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us just as Jesus walked alongside those Emmaus disciples and help them to understand, help us to understand who he is and where he is. So you want to draw no near to Jesus. The answer is open your Bible, right? Open your Bible. And I want to encourage you this morning and just ask you to do a little self-reflection evaluation. How important is this word to you and the, and the maturing of your walk with Jesus? It needs to be very central. And I want to encourage you to open this Bible more, to spend more time in it. And, and I think sometimes we you know, well, I don't know, I don't know which way to do it. And we can get sort of caught up in thinking about the mode and how many chapters am I going to read and, and when am I going to read and all that. And, and I think sometimes that just gets us sidetracked and we just have to go to the, the base issue, which is read the Bible. Just whenever, however, pick it up, keep it with you, lunchtime, before bed, 
when you get up in the morning, just read your Bible. I'll just tell you the way I'm doing it right now, and, and just because of the simplicity of it, is I simply get up in the morning and I read a chapter, and in that chapter, I'm looking for one verse that stands out to me where I feel like God, is, where my heart burns a little bit, or God is speaking in my life, and I'll write that verse down, and then I'll want to go back to it throughout the day if I can. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, and let that shape my day. And just doing that, uh, I'm two and a half books away from finishing the Bible. So I'll finish it in the next little while here uh, again. I've done it multiple times, but it's slow. It took, it's taken me four years to read through the Bible. But that's okay. Who cares? Just read your Bible. Open it up and, and read a chapter, read a section, read your Bible, because Jesus is making very clear that he is drawing near to us in the Scripture. That's what he wants us to understand. And lastly, and part of this whole process is Jesus wants to build your faith. He wants to build your faith. I love how he visits these, these two disciples. We've never heard of them before. They're no-namers, right? I mean, who's Clopas? We don't know who this guy is. We don't know anything about him. And then the other one, we don't even know. It just says, and another guy, basically. They're walking along, and Jesus, and I love to think of Jesus, he, he, he wakes up in that tomb. And what's the first thing on his mind? i got to go visit Clopas. And what's his name? Right? He's just been raised from the dead. I'm sure he's busy. And he goes and meets Clopas and what's his name? To share with them and spend time with them. And there's something deeply encouraging because we feel like a what's his name, right? Oftentimes. We feel like a Clopas. We don't know who Clopas is. And Jesus draws near to these two seemingly no-name people and accomplishes one of the most beautiful interactions that we've ever seen. And, and, and then down through time, we're encouraged through it. And Jesus Christ wants to do that with us as well. And what's, what's really incredible about um, this text or what's in, insightful is when does Jesus disappear? When does he disappear? It's at the moment that they recognize who he is. As soon as their eyes are open and they see with faith, ah, Jesus has raised from the dead, I believe, he disappears right at that moment. So we know that's what he wanted to accomplish in this visit. He wanted to build their faith. He wanted to build them up and strengthen them. Again, for what lies ahead, Jesus wanted to build their faith. That's why he came to them. That's why he pointed out who he is in the scripture. That's why their hearts burned. And that's why when they recognized who he was, he disappeared because his work had been done. He wanted to build their faith. And this morning, I want to tell you, he wants to build your faith as well. And he wants to build my faith as well. In fact, he has. And this morning, I got up and, you know, preaching is an, a crazy thing um, to think of, of of, of talking about this precious word that's been handed down through the ages and so many uh, people have, 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 have just um, drawn close to it and, and, and been so insightful um, and, it's, and there's a holiness about what God is doing and, and sometimes you just feel like, who am I to stand in front of anybody and talk about this word, talk about what God is doing? And I go through phases sometimes in this and and, and this last few days, I was in one of those where I just, I just had this in, intense sense of, of almost fear and, and, and thinking about, 
you know, how foolish I can be in my life and how far from living the life that God has called me to live I often am. And, and then, and then it, like yesterday was even worse. I started thinking about not just this week, but like, you know, all the things I've done in my life and how I've, I've denied God and, and, and failed Him in so many ways and been such a horrible witness in, in my life in many ways. And, and then I'm thinking about coming before you all and talking about this word. And, and I'm just in this sort of torn place, right? And this morning I get up and I open my Bible and I'm reading in the next chapter, right? Because that's my grand strategy for determining what I read each morning is which is chapter is next. And I'm reading in Acts 18 and verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. I really have a voice too to, to add to it. And do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. That's what I read this morning as I uh, considered coming to share you know, this text with you, um, being so aware of my own inability and weakness and frailty and, and unworthiness of even standing in front of people. Now, um, I don't mean that for, to be about preaching. I mean that to be about finding Jesus in the text, in the Bible. And, and I read that and my heart started to burn. And whatever it is that we're about, whatever our life goal or our mission, whatever it is that God has called us to, we would be remiss to tackle that project without first meeting with Jesus and finding that place where our hearts can burn in us because he's empowering us with the faith that we need to move forward in the day. So church, I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you to prepare for what's ahead. I want to ask you to allow God to stretch your imagination. You think that if X or Y was better, then your life would be better. And Jesus says, you know what? Capital X, capital Y, and let's throw Z in there. And I want to challenge you to be ready for God's vision, which is going to be so much bigger than what you thought, to stretch your imagination, more comprehensive. His redemption is more profound, more deep. And I want to challenge you to draw near to Jesus in the scripture, to read regularly. And then I want to ask you and to open yourself to his building of your faith, to let him meet you there and cause your heart to burn, to recognize Jesus in the word and to, to let that empower you for the day and to open your Bible with a sense of expectation that God is going to speak to me in this book. It's a living word. It's a living word, just like it's a living Lord that we worship. So the very end of this, they recognize Jesus when he breaks the bread. And that's one of the other ways where we see Jesus. And so we're going to break bread together. And um, I'm going to ask Andrew to Franklin to lead us in that. But before I do that, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you want to pray with somebody, if you want to pray that that you would have more strength to be in the Word, then go back to that area and we'd love to pray with you. If you want to pray for something that's happening this week in your work or in your life that you're concerned about, come back and meet us and we'll pray with you. If you want to pray uh, for just anything, if this morning you, you feel like you want to make Jesus 
your Lord and Savior, as we talked about towards the beginning, um, then we want to explain that a little bit more to you and come back to that area, and, and we'll pray.